why God troubles us. I want to talk to you about some things here tonight. And uh, all of us would love to know that when we get saved, that it's just a smooth sailing road ahead of us. Everything goes just as smooth as silk, and and uh, we feel peace all the time and love and prosperity and uh, all the good things of God, and there's never any troubles or never any problems. And uh, I think all of us would like to feel like that this is the way we'd like to, for life to be, but there's times when God will trouble us, and he has a purpose for it, and I want to go into that here tonight in the Word of God. I want to give you some examples in the Word of the Lord why God troubles us and why he may trouble you sometimes, why he may trouble you. Things going, everything everything going smooth, and all of a sudden it seems like uh, the fruit basket's turned upside down. And uh, troubles come our way, and we just say, well, Lord, why this, why that, why this? and so forth and so prayer is always the answer i'm going to read number one to you then i'm going to go into our first example and so that i can teach from the example itself sometimes when things are going smooth suddenly things change why maybe god is trying to prod us so he can use us to advance his kingdom in other words, God is not really trying to make your world unhappy, make your life miserable. He's not trying to do that. What he's really trying to do is to push you a little bit further and prod you so that he can use you further and more in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you some examples of that in the word of God here and how it could have been easily misunderstood but by going to God in prayer and seeking the face of God, they got the right direction for it. Praise the Lord. I want you to go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to take my time in these examples here. I've got three examples and two especially here, Nehemiah and, and Daniel, and then uh, also David at the end. But if you will go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1 in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1 in verse 1. Let me just describe who Nehemiah was. To make a long story short, he was the king's cupbearer. That's the last verse that's found over in the, uh, the 11th verse found in chapter 1. The very last line says, for I was the king's cupbearer. In other words, here's what Nehemiah did. He was a Jewish fellow who had been brought over into Babylon and finally taken over by the media persian empire and uh, he was of the jewish descent now the jews had been captured under the babylonians the king of babylon had brought these jews they brought ten thousand of these jews over to israel later he went back and uh set things in order again and brought some more of them back over to babylon and finally in 588 bc 606 and find 599 bc and then finally in 588 bc he went back into Jerusalem, this king did, of Babylon. And he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down all the walls, burnt the gates with fire, destroyed the temple, took all the gold and silver and everything of value and took it all back to Babylon with him. Took a lot of the furniture of that temple with him. So he went back and, uh, and that was where he, where he was. Now, years later, 
the Lord laid it on the heart of another king of the media Persian Empire that had conquered the Babylonians to send the Jews back to Israel to rebuild their temple. And uh, this was this is a great story in itself. And uh, the Lord told the king to do that, spoke to that, that, that Gentile king to do that. So he sent a bunch of these Jews back to Israel and said, go back now, you're welcome to go back as many of you as you want to go. And so uh, thousands of them went back. They were led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was their, their chief. He was a direct descendant of David, a direct forefather of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, who was of the lineage of David. And uh, this man led all of them back and they reestablished, this, started building the temple. And they had to fight everything around them. They just fought, fought, and they tried to build this and build that. It took them a long time. It took about 20 years to finally get the temple built. And then it would be desecrated by these other tribes of people around about Jerusalem and around about Israel who had come in there and would give them all kinds of trouble. Time rocked along after Zerubbabel went back and everything, which was 536 B.C. Finally, probably another 50 years went by. And here is a descendant of the Jewish people who was one of those that had stayed. His forefathers were one of the ones that had stayed in Babylon. And he had risen to this rank or position of being the king's cupbearer. Now, he, he w- didn't have any titles. He wasn't like he was uh, some royal blood or anything like that. It was the thing that he was the guy who sampled all the drinks and the food before the king partook of it. He stood right there by the king's side. And when somebody brought his drinks to him, said, here's, here's the wine you ordered, O king. He would say, let me have that. And he would test it, drink it, and they'd pour it up. He'd, he would drink it before he handed it to the king. If it was poisonous, he would die. You understand what I'm saying? So this was in the end. If it was food, he sampled the food. Then the king would eat it. And over the years, he and that king had become very close friends, just personal friends. He was always respectful to the king because he was king and he was a nobody. But this king, praise the Lord, liked him, honored him, and was very kind to him. Now, during this period of time, a strange thing happened. I'm going to read chapters 1 and verse 1 here in Nehemiah. I'm going to read down four verses to you here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Lachaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chisleah, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. Shushan the palace was in Persia now, and it was the 20th year of this reign of this king. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, that is that they were living over in Israel now, in Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, that is, that had gone back to Israel to rebuild the temple and rebuild everything and put it all back like it was, how the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Tell me, guys, go good to see you, man. I want you to sit down and tell me all about it. I bet you guys are really, really put, you really put it all back together and everything is looking great and everything is looking, 
man, that's got to be wonderful how God has really restored and blessed the Jews going back over there. Look what it says in verse 2. Verse 3. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left to the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And Nehemiah says, you're kidding me. I thought all of that would have been rebuilt back. And they said, no, it's all destroyed. And Nehemiah then went into, uh, he he became very, look look at verse 4. And it came to pass that when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. And I mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Now, let me just say one thing here. There's things that can come our way and all of a sudden they knock the props out from under us. And we think, oh, Lord, what the world. The first thing we do, folks, is go to God in prayer. Always go to God in prayer and seek the face of God. Little did Nehemiah know that God was preparing him to use him. He didn't know that. What he was thinking about was the Jews that had gone back and nothing had been accomplished or everything that they were supposed to have done when they went back. It's almost like it was before because they'd been having so much trouble and the enemy had been fighting them and people giving them hard times and troubles and they'd been just trying to, just trying to eck out a living over there. And so Nehemiah here, he starts praying and prayer will bring you to praise the Lord to the place, uh, where you can get an answer from God. And this man sought the Lord and he prayed and actually the rest of those verses in that First chapter is all about Nehemiah praying and talking to God. And he come down. So down in verse 11, I'll jump down to 111 real quick here. O Lord, I beseech thee, he's winding up his prayer now. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, speaking of himself, and to the prayer of thy servants, that is, that is the others that pray, who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man? The king. While he was praying, he already decided what he wanted to do. He had to help those Jews back in Israel some way or another. And in prayer, he got his answer. But my Lord, what, walking away from the king? You don't just do that, you know. And so he says that... Grant me mercy in the sight of this man. And then the last line identifies his role with this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now, look at verse 2 here. Came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. This is that year that we're talking about. Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. He was always cheerful, certainly maybe happy. The king liked that. And he took the wine, sipped it, and handed it to the king. But this time he was sad. And uh, so the king began to ask him, what's wrong with you? 
What's wrong here? I won't read the rest of it, two, three, and four. I won't read them, but I just tell you that the king said to him, what's wrong with you? You're not yourself. And he said, king, oh, king, he says, back where my people are for, my people are from, back in Jerusalem. Everything's in disarray. The walls are burned, tore down. Gates are all burned. Uh, the temple is being treated wrongly and people going there and doing crazy things they shouldn't be doing in the temple of God and all these kind of things. And so he began to talk about this. Look at verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah. And this is what he was requesting. Now understand here he's putting it all on the edge here. And the king might have said to him, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, I'm not, you're my king, you're my cupbearer, and you want to go over there and, and all of that kind of stuff. What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? You got it made right here. You got it, have I, haven't I always treated you right? You got it made in the shade. But he said, Lord, he said, would you, you know, send me. And notice here that he asked him if it pleased the king, if thou servant found favor in thy sight, send me. Not just let me go, but send me. In other words, give me your blessings. Just say, I want you to go. Send me unto the Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchre, that I may build it. And the king said unto him, the queen also sent by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And he told him. And it would turn out to be for 12 years. I'll show you that later on in the scriptures. And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. Now, folks, that made all the difference in the world in just him going and the king sending him. Because when the king was going to send him, he had the authority of the king. You understand what I'm saying here? It wasn't just permission to go. And God put this man through all of this heartache and sorrow and grief and trouble and worry and frustration just so that he could set him up so that he could use him to do what nobody else could do because nobody else that was Jewish, was in the position he was in with that king to be sent by the king over to Jerusalem to get things done. And then I'm going to read verse 7 here on down. Verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that's the Euphrates, that they may occupy, they may uh, convey me over till I come unto Judah. In other words, these kings would, and these people of yours would, would, all let me come through and be kind to me. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates. Boy, he was asking a lot here. He's really putting it out there now. Not just to send me, king, but would you also grant me this extra favor? You've got this big forest over there with trees. Nobody can touch those trees unless you give them permission and give me permission to be able for your people over there to cut those timbers and make gates for the for the temple, uh, for the gates of the palace which uh, appeared to uh, appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, look at verse nine. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Oh, hallelujah. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. 
Boy, did the king really back him up. So here's Nehemiah, who was just the king's cupbearer. And all of a sudden now, he's going to Palestine with authority that nobody had ever had before. He had all kinds of authority from the king, all because he was made sad and trouble came his way and he heard the bad news and he didn't know what to do and he was, and his face was long and, and his heart was bleeding and he couldn't eat and, and he was just so sad that he went to God in prayer and God began to unfold this purpose and reason why he was going to use him like he did. I'm going to read a little bit further here. Now the king, this is in the ninth verse. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonites, heard of it. This was the people that had been giving Israel all kinds of trouble over there. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And verse 11 says, so I came to Jerusalem. Now, that's the part I'm going to read because the rest of it is all about Nehemiah going there, folks. And he went there authority. He spent three days walking around, going around the city, riding a donkey, looking at everything, looking at all over, deciding where he's going to live and all of this kind of stuff. And then he got the people together and said, okay, let's start building. They said, we can. Yes, we can, too. I got paperwork here. We got access. We're going to get it done. We're going to do it. And they all went to work, and they worked. Now, the book of Nehemiah is about these people working to rebuild the walls of the city and the gates. And this is where you've heard the story about that one man would, would work. They'd work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. The trowel would work, and the sword they would defend against those enemies that would try to come in and stop them from working. And that all went through the, that way, and Nehemiah was able to establish this wonderful uh, place, praise the Lord, that he had uh, that he wanted to establish, built that wall, that city, all those things up, praise the Lord, right on up. And uh, finally, after 12 years, 12 years, he went back to Babylon, or back to, to, to Persia, brother. Uh, it doesn't say that in here, but it does confirm it in the last part of Nehemiah in chapter 13. I'm going to go to 13, 3, and you don't have that in your notes but if you look in Nehemiah 13, 6 with me, Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for 12 years. Then he went back to Persia. And then uh, when he got there, here's what happened, verse 6. But in all this time was, was not I at Jerusalem. That is, things started happening after he left Jerusalem and went back to Persia. In the... 20, the 32 years of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. Artaxerxes was the same king that he had left. He left him when he had been in power for 20 years. Now he went back. This king had been in power now for 32 years. He still loved Nehemiah. Said, Nehemiah, you've come back. Yeah, I've come back to be with you and so forth. Here's what he said to him. He came back on the 32nd year. He came unto the king. After certain days obtained, I leave of the king. So when he got back, he said, oh, king, I should be there a little bit. The king said, glad to have you back. Oh, king, Artaxerxes, would you mind if I go back to Jerusalem again? Would you mind if I go back? And then look at that very, the first line in the seventh verse. And I came to Jerusalem. The king said, yeah, yeah, my, go back. That's where your heart is. And God's using you there. Praise God. 
Now, I've said all of that to show you here that he was a man that thought that troubles had come his way, but God was using him and preparing him in a way that nobody else could be used like he could be used by God because he was so close to that king. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't a, a, some kind of a priest. He, wasn't, he was just a guy that sampled his food before he partook of it to see if it was poison. You know, what a job that is, right? But the king had gotten to really respect him and love him and appreciate him. <clears throat> and when all this began to happen, he gave Nehemiah authority to go back and do a work in Jerusalem that nobody else could have done. Now, what I'm saying to all of us here today, folks, you never know how God wants to use us. Any one of us, God can choose to use us in a special way, in a certain way that nobody else could be used. And we have to be open to that. So I want to say this and moving on here. Uh, if trouble comes your way and things, first thing you do is just seek to God in prayer. Just say, God, I'm your servant. I'm, I don't know why everything's going upside down. I don't know why things are happening the way they are. I don't know what this is all about. But, Lord, I want to seek your face and call on God. Seek the face of God. Praise the Lord. Because, folks, God, hallelujah, is our friend. He is a friend to us, every one of us. And there's a scripture where it says, he said, Abraham was my friend. And I want you to know that he told those disciples, I'm your friend. Praise God. And you're my friend. And we are disciples of the Lord. And God has made us his friend, Jesus Christ. We are his friend. And so when things don't go right, seek the face of God, call on God, talk to the Lord, and the Lord, praise the Lord, will open the windows of heaven, make a way that you don't know how he's going to use you, but however he does, praise the Lord, God is in it, and he's in it in a very special and wonderful way. Now, I, I know some personal examples of missionaries and things like that. I won't give any of those examples. And I've been through some trials myself, but and I'm sure you have. But God is faithful. He'll always bring you through. He'll never leave you high and dry. He'll never disappoint you. But God is faithful. But we have to be prayerful, and we have to seek the face of God and want his, and, and want his kingdom to be first and foremost above everything else. Praise the Lord. Now, I, uh, I'm going to go to the second one here that I want to talk to you about. This was Nehemiah. <coughs> Excuse me. To you, I'm going to talk to you about Daniel here. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Daniel chapter one, at Nehemiah chapter one, Daniel chapter one, and uh, praise God. Ironically, Daniel was before Nehemiah. His time was before. He was one of those first ones taken captive by the Babylonians. And uh, his relationship was with the king of Babylon, not king of the Persians. It was with the king of Babylon. And he was taken captive in 606 B.C. Actually, he was probably 100 years before Nehemiah was. And uh, he was among those 10,000 that had been taken over there. Uh, he was of the royal lineage, royal lineage. He was a direct descendant of David. And... Uh, he was uh, of that lineage, and he was a eunuch. He and three of his friends, all of them were from Judah, and they were uh, the descendants of David. 
they were, uh, they, they were, their manhood was taken from them by the king of Babylon. And then they had a, they had a eunuch overseer that oversaw them and took care of them and so forth. Now, I want to show you what happened here in Daniel's life. And, uh, this was a man that God was going to use in a mighty way. Daniel went there and, uh, I'm going to read, uh, verse one. Daniel 1 through 6, I'm not going to read all these verses to you, but just to tell you here that uh, the year that he went there and so forth, I'm not going to read all these verses to you, but look over in verse 6. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were the three Hebrew children. Later on, they were renamed by the Babylonians, and they were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'll just use those three names when I refer to these three friends of Daniel. But they were all three young men, folks, and they were about 17 years old. And they had been brought over there, and uh, they would not eat the king's meat. And so they said, just give us vegetables. Give us vegetables only. And they ate vegetables, and they had, man, they, they were still bright and smart. And the Bible impressed, it impressed the king. And... Uh, Look at verse 17. I'm jumping over to 117. And as for these four children, the Bible calls them children because they're children of Israel. For these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill. <laughs> I don't think any 17-year-old would like to be thought, think that the Bible refers to them as children, would they? <laughs> but anyhow, they were called children here in several places in the beginning. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. All right. God is preparing them for something. And uh, look at verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. Now, I'm telling you all of this because this king sort of surrounded himself with these wise people. They were called astrologers. They were called magicians. They were called the wise men of Babylon. And he was going to include uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young men with him to be among these men that would counsel him and advise him. So if he had to make major decision over his great empire that he had, since he had conquered all of these different countries, then they could advise him. And so he wanted them to be in that position. Now, look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, I'm not going to deal with the specifics with the dream. I'm going to deal with Daniel's involvement with the dream. Everybody still with me? This is all about Daniel now. Now, verse 2, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the first year he was conquered, brought over there, and uh, was made part of the king's uh, wise men. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Now listen to this closely here. Follow me with this. Wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, and the soothsayers, and the Chaldeans. 
for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Oh, okay, tell us what it is. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, that's the language they were speaking in, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show thee, show the interpretation. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. I, I don't remember what the dream was. I know it was troubling to me, but I can't remember it. If you will make known unto me the dream... And the interpretation thereof, <clears throat> you shall be, you sh it, let's see, if you make unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in. Well, wait a minute. The king said unto me, the king, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made dunghill. Oh, well, that really shook him up. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth with that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, or ruler that asks such things of any magicians or astrologers or Chaldeans. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, requireth, and there is none other that can say, show it before the king except the gods, G-O-D-S, little g, meaning the heathen gods, whose dwellings is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now they had made him mad. And instead of saying, if you can't interpret the dream for me and tell me what the vision that I had, the dream that I had, if you can't tell me that, uh, then uh, you're not anything. And you, now you've really made me mad and I'm going to kill every one of you and wipe you all out. Boy, he was short fused, wasn't he? And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows, that's Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be slain. Now, word came to Daniel, and everything, it finally came to him. They brought him words, and yeah, you're going to do that. Look at verse 16. Then Daniel went in, they prayed. Here's what happened with Daniel. Daniel called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together. They said, God, we're in big time trouble. We're going to all be killed along with all the wise men of Babylon now. Let's seek the face of God. And they went to God in prayer and they prayed and sought the face of God and sought God with all their heart. And when they sought the Lord with all their heart, uh, this is what Daniel said, verse 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. Daniel asked the king, and that he would show the king the interpretation. He said, King, give me a little time and I'll show you the interpretation. And the king said, all right. And they'll stop everything. No killing for right now. I'll give you time. And so Daniel and those Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego really went to God in prayer this time. They really went to God in prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Shadrach. This is the Hebrew names are given, but I'm just using the, the, the Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his companions, that they would desire mercies of 
God. Now, they're in trouble because they're going to be killed if they can't get an answer. You understand what I'm saying here? Everything's going fine. They had, a, you know, all set up there in the king's palace and everything going fine. They were smart and considered smart men and, and everything like that. And the king would ask you, what's your opinion? What do you think? How do you feel? You know, all of a sudden, everything is turned upside down. And uh, they prayed, 18, this is verse 18 now. I'm in 2.18, that they would desire mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is what he prayed. Now, folks, God is in this. God was in this. God was going to use Daniel for one of the greatest things, one of the, to be one of the great prophets of that Old Testament time. He was preparing Daniel to use him in a marvelous way. What would come out of this is a vision that the king had. I won't go into details on it. Vision that the king had that Daniel understood and gave the interpretation of and so forth. Look what happened when all this happened to these three Hebrew children. But the point here that I'm making out to you here is that God wanted to make something known to the Gentile world and to the Jewish world. And he went through this process of doing it. They, these young men had no idea this was going to happen. They, they didn't know this was going on. They were, at this point now, they were about 18 years old. And here they were. They were just sitting here now in this, uh, uh, in this king's court. Now look here what happened. Look at the 19th verse. 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Daniel got the whole message. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven. Now, look at verse 20. Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Now he praises the Lord for giving him the answer. Because he knows it's going to be okay, because he's really got the answer now. And he, 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 he changed the time, he changes the times and the seasons. Look at this 21. He changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And folks, that is so true. That's so true. God puts in place who he wants to put in place. He can put leaders in places where he wants to put them. You may say, oh, I don't like a certain leader I've got in our country. You know, whatever, who had a governor, senator, president, whoever it is, whether it's this one or one before, the next one, whatever. I'm not, I'm not being political here at all. I'm just trying to say here that God sets up whom he wants to set up. And whoever it is, praise the Lord, is who God put there for a reason. Maybe it's to bring around things so that we can begin to pray. Maybe it's for us to begin to seek the face of God. Or maybe it's time for us to say, look up, for our redemption doeth not. Praise God. And this is what Daniel realized. And Daniel prayed and says, and he said, he revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth, this is verse 22. Let me read 21 again. He changeth the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that no understanding. Verse 22, he revealeth the deep secret things. He, know, he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. 
man, he is exalting God. Lord, there's nothing you don't know. Then he says in verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desire of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. And uh, and then in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said unto this man, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. And he brought him in there. Now, uh, I want to just say this to you, all of us here today. Daniel was praying for him and the three Hebrew children that they would not be slain with the wise men. But when he had the message, he also spared them. That is, all of these wise men. He spared them as well. He didn't let them be killed. And the king said, well, they don't know anything. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of them. No, no, he didn't do that. He said, king, I've got the message. Now spare us all, you know. Very, very considerate, very noble, very good decision that Daniel made there. And uh, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and, uh, and said, The secret which the king hath, hath demanded the wise men, the astrology and the soothsayers, show unto the king. But look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known. Notice he's giving God the credit here. Daniel's not saying, I've got the answer. He's saying there's a God in heaven that knows everything. And he maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the here in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he told him. Now, I'm not going to go into details on this because this is not our subject. But it was about Daniel's image. He had a head of gold, chest of, of silver, thighs of uh, brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And, and all of that is a prophecy of the Gentile powers that would rise one after the other. It'd be Babylon, the media Persians, it'd be the Grecian Empire, it'd be the Roman Empire, it'd be right on coming right on down until the end of the Rome, the, the end of the Roman Empire, and then finally into the church age period of time that we're in today. Right on down here to the Armageddon. Right on, came, anyhow, I won't get into all of that, and that's a study in itself. That's a whole year study, to be honest with you. I'm not going to get into that here tonight. I just want to say here that he told this king what he had dreamed and told him the interpretation of it. And so when he told the king what he dreamed, the king had to say, My God, that's right. That's exactly what I dreamed. That's what I dreamed. He said, Now, king, here's the interpretation. And he had already told the king, it's from God that all this has come from, the God of heaven, my God, the God of the Jews, you know. And so the king is listening now. So he goes on to say, and he tells him, now look what happens in verse 46. This is a long chapter. These verses in, in chapter 2 of Daniel are long verses. And this 46th verse here. Uh, is where we are now. Look at this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, look at after Daniel told him the interpretation. And this is a study, folks, a powerful study in itself. I love teaching it. But I won't go there tonight. 46. Then the King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. Look at that. Oh, my God, this man knows what's going to happen in the future. 
Because his God has showed it to him. I'm trying to show you here how Daniel and the three Hebrew children were put, called the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were put right there at death's door. They were almost, they were almost going to happen to them, young people. And God used them, used them, praise the Lord, that they might be able to show the Gentile world what would be the future, what would have come to pass and what would happen. And that's the study within itself. This king fell down on his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Look at that. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods. He's talking about Jehovah God. He's talking about the I Am. He's talking about Jesus Christ as God before Jesus came as man. He was God. Your God, a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. Now, I want you to notice here that he honored God because Daniel had exalted God before he ever told him the interpretation of the dream. And when the king finally saw that Daniel was able to give him the whole, the whole story, everything, laid it out to him, he was amazed and fell on his face, worshipped Daniel, and then of a truth said, your God is the God. Look at verse 48. <clears throat> Look what happened here. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Look at that. And chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, Daniel, praise the Lord, a young man, 18 years old now, he's going to be the chief over all of these wise men that's all in Babylon, soothsayers, all of these kind of guys. Look at verse 49. Then Daniel requested of the king, look at this now. God bless this guy. I mean, he was always thinking of the others, always thinking of others, always. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He exalted them. He said, not only me, but here's my friends over here. They're, they're, we're, like, we're like together, you know. And over the affairs of the province of Daniel. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. In other words, he had a very special place with the king. Now, I am simply pointing out to you here how that the Lord, praise God, has used. First of all, he puts us in a very precarious position. And then there is the prayer that goes forth. And then God comes forth with some wonderful move in some way that he is able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through us. And who are we? We are nobodies. We are nobodies. But God sometimes will use us in a very special way to achieve and accomplish things that he wants to accomplish for his glory for his cause and for his purpose. It doesn't mean that we are to be lifted up. It simply means that God wants to use us so when trouble comes our way, always seek the face of God and say, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to be? Where? What would you want me to do? Praise the Lord, because God is a God who understands all of that. So sometimes we got to go through some things. Now, Daniel's and the... 
these three Hebrew children with a very short period of time. Very crucial, but very short. I want to refer here. I got 15 minutes left. I got one to refer to one more here. This is the one that you know about. I'm going to do more reference here than I am talking about, than I am in, uh, in reading scripture. And that is about uh, Daniel. About Daniel. Uh, I, uh, in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel anointed David to be king. He's a shepherd boy. Nobody called him out of the shepherd field and anointed him to be the next king. And then David went back to the shepherd field. Now that's tending sheep and singing songs to God and playing on his harp and killing a bear once in a while or a lion if they dared take one of his sheep out of the fold and saying nothing about it to nobody. You know the story, finally one day he went, his father called him in and said, go check on your brothers, they're down there fighting a big battle, they fighting the Philistines. He went down there and there's a giant, you know, the pastor preached on this the other day. One of the best messages, incidentally, I've ever heard on Goliath, and David and Goliath, was what the pastor preached. Was it Sunday morning, Sunday night? I forgot which one of those, Sunday morning it was. One of the best messages I've ever heard on that, on, on that subject. But anyhow... David killed Goliath. We all know the story. Died, fell, he cut his head off, held his head up and everything. They were victorious. He gave Israel honor and gave them the championship. And Saul, who was at that time, was being humiliated by the giant and the Philistines, now was given back the place of honor of being the king of Israel. But he got jealous of David. And he got jealous of him. And he didn't like this young upstart here getting all the attention. Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousand. Everybody was, you know, singing songs and everything. And the more and more time went along, he hated David more and more. And finally, he pursued after David to take his life. Chased him, chased him, chased him. He pursued after him. Folks, for 13 years, David was 17 years old when he killed Goliath. And then uh, he chased him till he was 30 years old. He chased after David and uh, tried to take his life. For 13 years, David fled for his life. He hid in the caves. He hid out in the desert. He hid in crazy places. I mean, they went through the any, any, any way they could. They, they, they just tried to stay out of the way of Saul. He didn't want to fight Saul. And in times he had a chance to even kill Saul because he was right there and they wouldn't do it. He said, no, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He's been anointed to be king before me. No, no, no. David wouldn't do it. And it wasn't just for a few days or a week or so that he went through this trial. But for 13 years, David was chased around all over the place. But in those 13 years, God gave him men who would stand with him and fight with him through every battle and trial and test and struggle they'd go through. God gave him what was called 30 mighty men. They were men that just joined themselves to him and said, we're going to be with you, David. We're going to stay with you and stay right by your side. We're one of your guys. And there's others. Finally, there was 600 of them together. 600 of them that followed David. And they had a little army. But 
but he still was running from Saul because Saul had the big, the big Jewish army. And he wasn't going to cross them either. So what I'm trying to tell you here was that here was a guy who was on the run, it seemingly, for 13 years. And he was just trying to hang in there and trying to make it and, and everything. And this 17th chapter tells about it. Over here in 1 Kings 2, it comes to the end of David's life. Look what it says here in chapter 2 and verse 11. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. 40 years he reigned over Israel. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 33 years reigned he in Jerusalem. But those other years he ran for his life. He ran for his life. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here, this, this talks about the 40 years that he reigned over, over these. He reigned over. In other words, after he had become after Saul was dead and he had become king, all Israel would not accept him. So he reigned over just Judah, the southern, his own, his own tribe that he was from. Reigned over Judah. And he reigned over Judah there for seven. That's what this is bringing out for, for, uh, for seven years. Uh, and, and then over Jerusalem, the, the, whole, uh, the whole kingdom then for 33 years. Now, I'm pointing, simply pointing out to you here. That this guy had no idea how God was going to bring him to power. He knew he was anointed to be king. He knew he was taking care of his father's sheep. This is nothing like being whirlwinds. This is going to happen. And then whenever he, and the Bible says in four places, I can show you four places in the Bible. Whenever he would go before Saul, the Bible says David conducted himself or handled himself wisely. Everything he said, everything he did with Saul, he didn't want to rough his feathers. They want to make him mad. He handled himself wisely and everything he said, tried to use wisdom and everything he did because he did not want to upset the apple cart. He was anointed, however that was going to be, when that would be in time. So, but God finally put him on the run and had run from Saul for 13 years in those desert places and caves and all those kind of things. I've been in Israel. I've been to some of those places where they had to hide out and so forth. Very interesting. But you think about him just running, and these men were strong men. They'd fight other soldiers, and they were just very strong guys. And they would say, David, let's, let's do something. No, no, no. We're going to wait on God. Wait on God. But finally, folks, God exalted him, and he became, praise the Lord, king over all Israel. Praise the Lord. Now, God has blessed us, and he will continue to bless us. If you ever go through a trial or test, you seek the face of God. You call on God and say, God, is there something you want me to do, something you want me to, some way you want me to be, that I might advance the kingdom, or I may bless the kingdom of God, or I may be a blessing to someone, or to others, or to whatever it might be. And I'm just telling you here that God can put us through some hard places, but he's going to use us. And I could give you some more examples. Oh, man, I haven't even talked about Esther and Mordecai and what they had to go through and everything for God to use them to save Israel that were in captivity. There's all kinds of stories in the Bible. We had even, that's all in the Old Testament, not, not even looking at the New Testament. But I'm just pointing out to you here, if you ever go through a hardship, just say, Lord, I don't know what this is all about, but I'm going to my knees in prayer. I'm going to seek your face, talk to you, 
seek God, stay faithful to the Lord. I want to keep going to church. I want to keep, praise the Lord, supporting the work of God. I'm going to keep giving to missions. All the things that we do, praise the Lord. Just keep on doing what you're doing, but just keep on praying and saying, God, whatever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, I am your servant, and I'll do that, and I'll be that. And you never know how God is going to use us. Praise the Lord. And one of these days, folks, we'll hear the trumpet sound. Oh, hallelujah. I don't think it's very far off. I don't know how far away it is. I may not live to see it myself because of my age, but I want you to know it's not very far away. Praise the Lord. But the Lord is coming back for his people, coming back for his church, and he loves his people. God loves us more than you'll ever realize. His grace is extended to us. The grace is the unearned favor of God. We don't, we don't deserve it. We, we haven't earned it. But it's his favor upon us that he's just like, you're my child. I love you. And, and our faith is our response to God's grace. Our faith is our response. And we say, God, you loved us. And I respond to that by worshiping you. When you come to church, folks, worship God. When you come to God, to church, praise the Lord, don't mess around with stuff writing and doing your cell phone and balancing your checkbook and all that mess. Every whispering note, passing notes. No, 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 no. No, I'm here to worship God. I can do all that stuff somewhere else. You can talk to your neighbors, amen, on the cell phone in your house or don't do it driving down the car either. <laughs> but I'm just trying to say don't do it in church because God wants us to worship and glorify him. And he deserves all of our praise and worship and glory and magnification of God. Let's, let's stand together right now. And let's just praise him and worship God and thank him right now. God bless you. You're such a good audience. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We love you so much.